Amen. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that we do indeed serve a, a God that is a God of wonder. Lord, you're beyond our ability to grasp you fully. Lord, even the, the small portion of who you are that we do understand, it's, it just blows us away. Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart that is here. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you that nobody's here by chance tonight. So may your Holy Spirit speak. We're hungry. We're desperate. We want to know you better. Lord, help us, Lord, by your Spirit tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to see you. Turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 2. Continuing our Old Testament study. We'll be in the last third of Jude on Sunday. So read ahead and be prepared for that. All right. Well, tonight we're not going to look at the whole chapter. I think it's the first time in the Old Testament, at least in a long time. I haven't done a whole chapter, but we will uh, finish it off next week. But I want to look at the first 11 verses this, uh, tonight. Before I do, though, just as a way of reminder, First and Second Samuel really are just one book uh, divided for us to better address it. Uh, it wasn't divided until the Greeks divided up the book later. It was divided into Greek later. Um, and we saw that this is the story of transitioning from Saul to David. We saw transitions in 1 Samuel from, you know, from Eli to Samuel to Saul, and now we're going from Saul to David, Saul the first king and David the anointed king. And we talked last week, and I know a lot of you said, and if you weren't here, grab the tape, a lot of you said how, man, that message was kind of heavy, it was heavy for all of us, because it was how David responded to Saul's death. And you know, most of us, if somebody had been chasing us for 10 years and trying to kill us and make us live in caves and was, you know, somebody who, whose passion in life was to see our death or our torment, if they died, I think most of us would be pretty happy. And David did not respond that way. And, and you know what? It wasn't a fake, oh, I'm sorry to hear that either. Because you see it in the, the response as it continues on. If you heard last week, I titled the message, a godly man's response, godly woman's response, to those who persecute him. He does not delight in the death of those who persecute him. He does not take attacks on the Lord's anointed lightly, and he focuses on the godly attributes of others, not their shortcomings. And we saw David do that with Saul, a guy again who would have been so hard to love, so hard to respond to. And no doubt many of us, it was a boss or a, a co-worker or a neighbor or maybe someone in your own family who thought, man... They're so hard to deal with, but we need to understand that God is greater than any of those circumstances, and our calling is to love them unconditionally. Amen? Amen. That was actually pretty weak. God's call is to love them unconditionally. Amen? Amen. All right, all right, that was better. All right, somebody's awake. Now, we come to tonight's text. Saul is dead. David did not rejoice in his death. David saw him not as a rebellious and fleshly tyrant, but as the Lord's anointed. David did not reward the Amalekite. Remember the Amalekite came and told him about his death? He didn't reward the guy who thought he was going to get a reward. Instead, he had him struck down. And David did not disparage his name after his death, but he mourned and he commanded all the children of Judah to be taught a song, a song of great mourning that focused not on Saul's shortcomings and failures, but his godly attributes. Uh, a song that proclaimed his supernatural love for both Saul and for Saul's son, Jonathan. Now, tonight's text is a real turning point in David's life because while he did not rejoice but mourned when Saul died, the truth is that Saul's dead. And Saul had been the king, and David was the anointed king. 
And he had been anointed probably 15 to 17 years before this, and 10 of those years had spent running. And now Saul's dead. And this is a turning point in David's life because now what's going to happen to David? He no longer had to run. He no longer had to hide in caves. At least it didn't appear that was the case. And when this word came to him, remember, he's living with the Philistines. He's living in Ziklag, and he's living amongst the Philistine people. So now he could actually go home. Seems all the roadblocks to the throne had been removed. David, a man whose bravery was never in question, could now just... If he wanted to, simply and boldly step forward and claim what was rightfully his, the throne in Israel. And it would seem that that would make a lot of sense. Okay, the guy who was taking the place of king, who was elected by or appointed by men, because they desired a king when they shouldn't have desired a king, has now been removed. And so that means, hey, I'm the anointed king. I have been waiting all these years. Let me just step up and grab it. But as we're going to see... Like the times it seemed God had delivered Saul into his hands, David would not be moved solely by his circumstances or even by his earlier anointing or even by his calling by God to the prophet Samuel, but he would wait to hear from the Lord. Guys, that's so hard. The easiest thing to do is, okay, God's cleared a path. Let me just jump through it with both feet. Guys, we need to step out in faith. We need to make sure that we've heard from the Lord. Now, it's easy to forget as we're going to go through this chapter It's easy to forget that this is actually a family here. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the children of Israel. These are the same people, their descendants. They're, they're, you know, the people that come before them. These are the descendants of those who were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, who wandered in the wilderness, who entered into the land of promise, who saw God do great and awesome things, Passover, when the angel of death passed over, when he delivered them out of bondage, when he parted the Red Sea, when he parted the Jordan, when he made the walls of Jericho fall down. And what's amazing about this is these 12 tribes are now divided up. You've got Judah, and he's off by, that tribe was off on his own, and the rest of Israel. And this is a family. How must break the heart of God to see them at each other's throats. And as we go through the next several chapters, we're going to see they're actually at war with each other. And so as we come to this place, this is a family that is divided. And the reason this family is divided can be summed up in the last verse of the book of Judges. And here's what it says. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. When everyone's doing what's right in their eyes and people are not seeking God, you're going to have division in the family. You know the only way you have unity in the family? Everybody is seeking God together. This is why we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, amen? Because you know God, you're walking with God, you're pursuing God, and the person you're with doesn't know God, and guess what? You've got problems. And so with that being said, I titled tonight's message, if you're a note taker, A Family Divided. A family divided. What happens when some seek the Lord and others rebel against him? We're going to see a contrast between a man called by God and a man walking in the flesh. And so if you're a note taker, again, a man called by God, we're going to see four things. He asks the Lord for direction. Number two, he goes where the Lord tells him to go, takes his family with him. Number three, his calling is recognized by others. He doesn't strive for position. And number four, he blesses and encourages others for their faithfulness. Well, the contrast is a man walking in the flesh. He strives to bring about his own will. Guys, here's this trial we all have. We all at times strive to make things happen when we should be resting in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Anybody else struggle with that besides me? 
If you're a type A personality especially, let's knock some walls down and make this happen, right? That's the mentality. Hey, don't, don't t- just tell me no and see what happens, right? I mean, that's, that gets me charged up more than anything. Someone telling you you can't do something. When I was a kid growing up, I remember them telling me early on I was too small to play football, and I was pretty small. But I'll tell you what, nothing made me more determined. And you know what, but that's, that, and again, that determination can be fine if it's directed by the Holy Spirit, amen? But when that determination is in our flesh, and we're going to try to make stuff happen, we're going to make a mess out of things. And so, let's take a look at a family divided. A contrast between a man called by God and a man walking in the flesh. First, a man called by God. He asks the Lord for directions and waits to hear from him. Verse t- uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It happened after this. After what? After Saul died? After word came back from the Amalekite? Now we know that the Philistines have destroyed and wiped out Saul. We, we're going to see in a moment that they took his body and they tried to desecrate it and shame Israel by taking Saul's body and hanging on the walls of Beth Shane. If any of you go to Israel with us, one of the greatest archaeological finds, Beth Shane, has just been uh, uncovered in a big way. It's beautiful. But they took his body and hung it outside the city wall. So Saul is gone. The word has come back. David is mourning. All of Israel is mourning. Uh, David is, has the children of Judah singing songs about him. So after these things, it's the turning point in David's life. What's going to be next? I'm anointed the king. How do I respond? After all these things have happened, now that the hunter was dead, he would no longer be hunted. And while it no doubt seemed obvious what was next for David, he could again have justified, hey, that's it. That's God's plan. I didn't, I didn't kill him in Engedi when I could have. You know, I, God brought, you know, he was brought into the cave. My guys told me to kill him. I waited. Now God killed him. God allowed him to die. It's over. Now I can just march right in. But what does David do? Does he just use his circumstances to move him in a direction? Now, God can use our circumstances, but he won't use our circumstances alone. Amen? If we're moved just by our circumstances, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. In the midst of our circumstances, we need to make sure we're seeking the Lord. So what does David do? It happened after this. Saul's dead. Jonathan's dead. There's no longer a king right now in Israel. Who's going to be the next king? That David inquired of the Lord. Here is one of the reasons that David is a man after God's own heart. Now, had David just been blowing it just before this, what's the answer? Absolutely. Where is he living? In the land of the Philistines. Remember that Goliath was a Philistine. David is living with Goliath's people and had offered to fight on their side. So David's not perfect. But one thing you see about David is when he sins, he repents. And you often see him doing this, inquiring of the Lord. If you're blowing it and you've gotten outside of God's will and you're camping out with the world, you're hanging out with the Philistines, it's time for you tonight to get back to inquiring of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Time for us to get back to seeking His face, seeking His direction. Stop doing things based on our own intellect. So here's the key, and it should be the key to ours as well, that we seek direction from the Lord. And David wanted more than God to just bless his plans. A lot of times that's what we pray. Okay, Lord, here's my plan. Now bless it. Right? We lay it out for him. Here's my idea. Here's how I think it ought to go. Here's what I think needs to happen. Here's what I want. Now bless it. And then when he doesn't, God, how come you don't bless me? Don't you love me? You know, hey, how about this? God, I don't have a plan. I want your plan. 
God, I don't know which way to go. I need you to show me. And God, I think I know which way to go. Maybe that's the case, but I'm not going to go until you tell me. That's David. David knows the calling on his life, has a clear idea what God's direction is, and he still asks the Lord. Sometimes we only ask when we don't know. Here's a good idea. Ask even when you do know. Ask and say, okay, Lord, it seems very clear to me this is what you want, but I want you to make sure that I don't blow it. Can I tell you that I prayed that prayer about this building numerous times? Why? It was a huge step of faith for us, and, and I, we felt very confident this is the Lord. But can I tell you, as a senior pastor, I had prayers like this many times. Lord, don't let me take your people out into the wilderness. If this is not your will, Lord, help. Don't let it happen, Lord, please. We believe this is your will, but you make sure. And you know what? God has confirmed it and confirmed it and confirmed it and confirmed it. And you know what's great about that? Then you can step out in faith, amen? So here David you know, he has an idea what God's plan is for his life. I'm the anointed king. Samuel came when I was 13 and anointed me king of Israel. God's hand has been upon me. I've been kind of blowing it lately, but it seems like that's what God wants to do. He doesn't just go do it. Instead, he inquires of the Lord. He asks God, is this what you want? And then is what he says. He asks a specific question. Can I encourage you to pray specifically? Pray specifically. How do you know if God answers a prayer if you pray things like, God bless all the people in the world? And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad prayer. But what, what is that? How about, let's pray something specific, amen? Lord, I pray for my coworker by name. And Lord, I ask that tomorrow you would give me a divine appointment to share the gospel with him or with her. That's pretty specific, Amen. Do you know what happens? God, it doesn't change God's mind. It changes your heart. Isn't it interesting how you'll be looking for that opportunity the next day if you've prayed that? That's what God does through prayer. So what does he say? Here's what he says. Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? Again, he prayed not because he didn't have a clue of which way to go. He had an idea where God wanted him to go, but he prays and he's asking God to confirm what he believes God is telling him to do. He prayed for confirmation as he was being led by the Lord. And again, it's when we think we've got it and we cease to seek the Lord that we end up in a ditch or wandering aimlessly. When we just say, okay, God, I got this one. I don't need your help here. You know, I've, I've done this before and I know what to do here and I'm just going to do it. And we got to be careful. Make sure that we're always seeking God and we're always hearing his voice. So David is in Ziklag at the time that he inquires of the Lord. He's living in the land of the Philistines. A lack of seeking God had brought him there, and he was not about to make that mistake again. You know, the way of the transgressor is hard, but the way of the transgressor can also be a great teaching tool. Amen? Amen? You get in a place, you're outside of God's will, and you get there, and you go, hey, this is not so fun. This is not, you know, I thought this would be fun. I got out here, not so fun. And you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, David's in the land of the Philistines. He's in Ziklag. He's God's anoint. He's got the Holy Spirit. Oh, hey, yeah, let's not do this anymore. How about we ask God for some direction this time? I went my own way. Land of the Philistines, not so much. What does God have for me? And Lord, do you want me to go up to one of the cities of Judah? Is that your will for me? And then God answers him. Now notice he prays and he waits for God to answer. It doesn't say he prayed and then he went. That's what we do sometimes, amen? We pray. And then we feel like, okay, I prayed, now I'm going. <laughs> Guys, we need to pray and then wait for God to answer. We don't just, you know, give God a petition. By the way, here's what I'm doing. Or, hey, God, 
I ask for your permission. And here's the other thing. People pray this prayer. Lord, unless you don't want me to go, unless you put up 18 roadblocks, unless you break my leg on the way out to the car, I'm going to, you know, we don't want to do that either. We want to pray and seek God's face and wait to hear from the Lord. Here's what it says. And the Lord said to him, go up. Go up. The word there means to ascend or to arise. David inquires of the Lord. He waits for the answer. It would be foolish to pray and then proceed, having received an answer. So we should pray fervently and then wait patiently. And David did that. And God tells him, go up. Well, that would be enough for most of us. Hey, Lord, can I go? All right, that's enough. Got to go. I got the go sign. I'm going. But watch. He really wants to know exactly what God has for him. And David said, where shall I go up? God told him to go. He didn't just go haphazardly. Well, I've got the word from God, so wherever I go is going to be fine. You know, God, should I be married? Yes. Okay, great. I can marry anybody I want. No. Who should I marry? Amen. Hey, Lord, do you have a calling on my life? Yes. Well, okay, well, Lord, what have you called me to? You know, we need to go deeper than just a general yes from God. We want to hear God's voice and walk in the center of his will. David wanted to be in the center of God's will, so he asked for more detail. He could have just gone up and seized all of Israel, but as we're about to see, that was not God's plan. Often we don't want more detail because we're afraid God might not tell us what we want to hear. Right? Well, if I pray and ask him for more detail, he might not give me what I want. He might go, no, you can't marry her. No, you can't have that. No, I don't want you to. So what we do instead is we just, you know, hey, God, it's, okay, that's enough. I got the go sign. I'm going. That's it. Good enough. I don't want to ask anymore. Hey, guys, can I tell you, let's be in a place of constant desperation before God, hearing not him yell at us, but that still small voice. Amen walking in such close fellowship with him that when he whispers, we hear him. And so David, where should I go? Where do you want me to go? And he said, in verse 1, to Hebron. Hebron, I love Hebron in the Bible. Hebron, why? Hebron was the land of the giants that Caleb asked for. I love that city because you remember the story of Caleb. Caleb is 85, Caleb was one of the two who went into the land and then came back out and told them, hey, it's everything God said. And 10 spies said, oh, they're going to kill us. And they said, we're not going to go in then. But Joshua and Caleb said it was God's will that they go and they should obey the word of the Lord. And so what happened? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and that entire generation dropped dead. And now Caleb's 85. He may be the oldest person alive of the children of Israel. Second oldest, at, 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 unless Joshua's older than him. That's the only way he could be the second oldest. They're the only two that survived from that generation. Everybody else is dead. And they're getting ready to go into the land of promise. And what does Caleb say when they get there? Hey, Joshua, God promised me I get the land of the giants. And I want it. Now, again, you've heard me say, if I'm 85 and I'm going into the promised land, give me, you know, the seashore, a rocking chair, and a bag of chips, Right? You know, I don't want any more challenges. Just let me have the easiest, lightest place I can have. And Caleb says, give me the land of the giants. And Caleb went up. It was up on a high hill. He went into Hebron and he killed all the giants at 85. And then he said, hey, if anybody wants to marry my daughter, you're going to have to go down and kill a bunch of other giants because a guy who was a giant killer wants a giant killer for a son-in-law. Amen. <laughs> And I imagine him praying, Lord, if that's not the guy for my daughter, kill him. 
when he gets down there. Don't let him live. Why? Because my daughter is worth a giant killer. And I don't want her to have anything less. And we all know, if you know the story, Othniel comes back, having slayed all the giants, gets to marry his daughter. And when you get to the book of Judges, guess who the first judge is over all of Israel? Othniel. And where did he learn to be such a godly man? From a father-in-law who made him run the gauntlet before he could marry his daughter. You can ask my son-in-law, Kevin. I'm, I'm a big believer in that whole program. Why? Because if the person is someone that God has for your son or your daughter, they're worth the wait, and they'll be willing to do whatever's necessary. Amen? If they're easily scared off, they weren't the one anyway. Well, I love Hebron, and so it's, it's in the south of Judah. It's not far from the Philistine border, and he was not to go up and arbitrarily take over all of Israel. He was to move into the land and make himself available. God's saying, okay, I want you to go to Hebron. It's just over the border. I want you to enter into the land of promise, but you're to go there and wait doesn't tell him, go up and seize all of Israel. Go up and attack. No, I just want you to go up there. So David didn't move solely based on his circumstances or even his calling. He waited to hear from the Lord. And then when he heard from the Lord, we're going to see how he responds. And God gives him a very specific direction. Go to Hebron, land of the giants. And you know what? I, I've told you guys this before. When I came to Santa Cruz, my pastor, Don McClure, I, I love what he said, and it meant so much to me, and I still... I've shared it with hundreds of other people. He said, Dave, when you go, you need to know that you know that you know that you know that you know that you're called to Santa Cruz. Because if you don't know, when you get there, the first problem you've got, you've got two problems. You've got the problem, and was I even called to be here? But if you know that you're called, when you get there, the problems are God's because he told you to come. And here's the point. He needed to know that he knew that he knew where he was supposed to go because whatever was waiting for him, if God's the one who called him, then whatever happens there is in God's hands. And so David goes, and he goes up to Hebron, and let's see what happens. Verse 2, so David went up there. God told him to go, David went. The Bible tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. It's been said that the highest form of worship is obedience. It's one thing to pray, it's one thing to seek God's will, and it's another thing to obey it. A lot of us will pray, and we can be pray flowery prayers and we can go to church on sundays and wednesdays and we can have a christian fish on our car and we can live like the devil all week the point is that we don't just seek after god and hear his voice but when we hear his voice we obey his voice and i love verses like this where it says you know david said where i where shall i go he said go up and he said go to hebron so david went up there that's underlined in my bible i love that god said to go and he went he not only inquired of the Lord and then waited for an answer, but having heard from the Lord, he faithfully obeyed. And again, it's one thing to pray for direction, to seek direction from God's word, to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and yet another to respond in faithful obedience to it. Rest of the verse. And his two wives also... Got two wives. People say to me all the time, you know, especially people know you're a pastor, you don't have a full-time job. What about those guys with all those wives? What's up with that? Didn't Solomon have like a thousand wives or something? Right? I've heard that many times. Let me say this. Yes, a lot of guys in the Old Testament had multiple wives. When you get to heaven, ask any of them how that worked out for them. I don't see one example in the Old Testament where they're like, man, I'm really glad I got all these wives. This is really working out for them. It never works out. You disobey God, not a good idea jealousy and infighting not good ask abraham how that hagar thing work out not so much 
The whole thing that's happening in the Middle East, Hagar's descendants. Hey, no, don't do that. Now, David, get the sad part is he's a man after God's own heart, but he's not a perfect man. Because you know what? He has two wives now. He's still going to get a few more. I'm not kidding. We're, we're going to see it. He's getting a few more. He's going to get one that he lost back, then he's going to get another one by killing somebody and committing. It's not good. But, and two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Don't be a Nabal. Remember Nabal? Not so much. You have to go back and look at him. And it said, but notice it says, David went up there and his two wives also. So David not only obeyed the Lord and went where God told him to go, he took his family with him. Guys, it's one thing for us to obey God, and I've seen people do this, and this is not God's will. You obey God and leave your family in the dust. Hey, babe, I don't have time to be your husband right now or the father to the kids because I need to be at church six nights a week. Hey, you should be in fellowship, but you need to remember your first ministry is your family. 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives the qualifications of a pastor. And it says a man who rules in his own house well. A man who does not minister to his family has no business ministering to anybody else. When we stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, the first people we're going to be accountable for is our family before anybody else. And so praise God that David not only hears God's voice and obeys God's voice and goes where God tells him to go, but he takes his family with him. He brought up his entire household. Verse 3, And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. So David not only took his entire family, but he took the now 600 men he's been discipling. Now you've got to remember who these guys are. If you go back to uh, earlier in 1 Samuel, they're called David's, referred to by many as David's mighty men. But you know who these guys were? It says they were those who were in distress, in debt, and discontented. Okay, you're the anointed king, and here's what you get. All the guys who are broke, have a bad attitude, and whose lives are a complete and total mess. Here you go, David. Got five, let me give you 400 of them. No wonder they were in Gedi going, kill Saul, kill him, kill him. Right? But here's the point. These guys become mighty men of God because David's pouring his life into them. And he took men that were in distress, and men that were discontented, and men that were in debt, and he loved on him. And that ought to be how the church ought to respond. Amen? Because here's the truth. Every one of us was in debt when we got in here. We were spiritually bankrupt. Amen? And we all need Jesus. And so these were his guys. And David had discipled and molded them. And he wasn't always a perfect example. But he inquires of the Lord. He hears from the Lord. He obeys the Lord. And he brings his family and those that he has discipled with him. And he went not knowing exactly what was going to happen. God didn't tell him, go to Hebron and then... I'm going to, that's not what I said, go to Hebron. And when you get there, I'll show you what's next. God has a calling on your life. You go and you step out. You may not have all the details. You need to trust that God knows what he's doing. He went knowing not, knowing not exactly what would happen when he got there. So a family divided. What happens when some seek the Lord and others rebel against him? We see a man called by God, asks the Lord for direction and waits to hear from him. He goes where the Lord tells him and takes his family with him. And then third, his calling is recognized by others. He doesn't strive for position. Now, especially for young men, and to a lesser degree young women, there is, as I talked about before, this tendency to strive. And to feel like people are getting in your way of what God has called you to do. 
I've been accused of that. I'm just being transparent. I've had people take me out to dinner and look me in the eye and tell me, you're getting in the way of what God's called me to do because you won't let me do X, Y, Z. Here's the point. If you're called by God, other people are going to see it. Amen. Amen? You won't have to run a campaign. You won't have to have 50 people go up and tell the pastors, go tell them that I'm called. Go tell them, go tell them. Go make sure, yeah, 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 go tell them. Let me act really spiritual when they're around. Let me stand, oh, he's coming. Let's pray for someone. You know, don't do that. Don't strive. Don't try to get in position. Don't try to, you know, by the way, if you have to tell people how spiritual you are, you're not. Amen? Let me just tell you all the things I've done for God and how blessed he has to have me on his team. I mean, I don't know what God would do without me. I mean, I'm incredible. I mean, I, you know, and they don't say those words, but you hear people talk like that. Here's the point. The most spiritual people, the people that are most on fire for God will never, ever tell you how spiritual they are. Why? Touch not the glory. Give God all the glory. Amen? So watch what happens because David comes into Hebron and when he gets there, we're going to see that others do indeed recognize his calling. Here's what it says in verse 4. Then the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. David had already been anointed by Samuel the prophet many years earlier, as many as 15 years earlier. He's taken many years for that anointing to be recognized by men. And so here's a point, that, a great application for us. Maybe God has shown you clear that you're called to do something, but maybe it's not going to be recognized by men for a long time. So what should you do in the meantime? You be faithful. Amen? Don't strive. You serve God. You follow Him. Don't try to make it happen. Don't try to knock walls down. Don't campaign for yourself. Don't try to make, you know, here's another thing people do. Drag someone else down so they can be lifted up. David could have been excited when Saul died. You know, it's interesting where I work. Right now, you know, the economy's kind of slow, and, and it's, it's actually almost funny. Because what happens is that we used to have a lot more accounts. I sell advertising, for those of you who know that. And we used to have a lot more accounts because there were a lot more businesses. And a lot of those businesses have gone out of business, which means there's less accounts. which means people are making less money. Well, what's interesting now is we've had a few people retire and a few people leave the company, and and, and you now people you've known 30 years. And it just happened the other day. Two women came and announced they're retiring. And it was hilarious. I just watched this happen. People said, oh, really? You're retiring? Really? So what's happening with, with your accounts? I mean, that, I mean, the word hasn't even out yet. It's like they're not even out of the room. The perfume hasn't left the building yet. And they're already going, well, what's happening? Can I get your chair? And how about your, you know, right away, it's like, okay, great. Well, I'm sorry to see you go, but what can I get? You know, you're going to be gone, so let me step up. Hey, let that benefit me. How's that going to bless me? I'm sorry to hear you're leaving. How's that going to bless me? That can happen in our flesh. If we're striving for position, we look and we see someone else is leaving. Ooh, that leaves a spot for me. Maybe that's my spot. Maybe I need to let everybody know how qualified I am. They have no idea how blessed they are to have. Let me let everybody know. Let me whisper to some parents. Let them go tell the pastor. Let me make sure that I get a campaign out. Let me call and tell people that I really want to do this. You know what's great is when you call no one, you pray about it, and then God shows it to the people, and they come and, and, and say, you know what? We recognize that God's got a calling on your life. You know what happens then? God gets glorified. Amen. Amen. And then you go, you know what, Lord, you're good. And now I know that I'm called to do that because I didn't ask anybody for it. I just waited upon you. It's taken many years for the anointing to be recognized by men. And while we may grow discouraged waiting upon God's promises, we must remain faithful while we wait and trust in God's perfect timing. Now, this also points to something else. David had been anointed king of Israel some 15 years earlier, 
And now he's being anointed again by the men. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that that points to the fact that the Holy Spirit has poured out upon us. But guess what? We need to be filled again. Amen? And notice when David is filled again, when he turns back to the Lord. He's been with the land of the Philistines, and now he turns back to God, and now he's being anointed again. Holy Spirit being poured out upon him again in, in symbol. And so we too need to do the same. The men of Judah came to David. Notice that. Notice it doesn't say David hunted down the men of Judah and campaigned to be king. That's not what it says. The men of Judah came to David. David was in Hebron, and the men of Judah showed up and said, You know what, David? You're our king. You're the guy. God's got his hand on you, and because God has his hand on you, we're going to recognize it formally. They came, and he was anointed. Once he entered back into the land of promise, is exactly where God met him. David had been in the, in the land of the Philistines. He would never have been anointed king there. It wasn't until he went back into the land of promise. Guys, if you're outside of God's will, God's not going to use you there. If you're in rebellion, you're not walking with God, don't, don't, you know, don't wonder why your life is fruitless if you're walking in disobedience and rebellion against God. David was in Ziklag. He was outside of God's will. He wasn't doing what God had called him to do. And now he returns back to the land of promise after inquiring of the Lord. And God, you know, anoints him afresh, and now he's made king over Judah, but that didn't happen until he first put his eyes back on the Lord. Our own walk and pursuit of personal purity must come before we can be anointed by God for fruitful ministry. So a man called by God. Fourthly, blesses and encourages others for their faithfulness. Now notice what happens here. And they told David... Second half of verse 4, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. Now what's significant about that? As I said before, if you go to 1 Samuel 31, when, they, when Saul was killed, they took his body, and they took it to Bethshane, and they hung him up on the walls of the city, and near the gate. So when people would come to the gate, they'd see Saul's dead body hanging there. It was their way of shaming them and showing this once great warrior of Israel, look, he's dead, he's nothing, we killed him, his body's hanging there. Now, these men of Jabesh-Gilead risked their lives to go and get this guy's dead, get Saul's dead body off the wall, went in there and fought, you know, fought against them to get his body so they could take him back and bury him. Now, why would the men of Jabesh-Gilead risk their lives to get a dead body to save someone who's not even alive anymore, in a sense, save his memory from humiliation? Well, it's interesting that... We know from 1 Samuel chapter 11 that the Holy Spirit came upon Saul when he heard that Nahash the Ammonite had surrounded the city of Jabesh-Gilead. And here's what he told the people. Okay, we're either going to kill you or gouge your eyes out. And we're not going to tell you which, but we'll be back. And when we get back, it's going to be one or the other. And so the people, unless you fully surrender, so the people were waiting and the word came to Saul. And Saul, in a moment of early on in his minute, you know, as the king, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit when the news came to him. And he cut a yoke of oxen in pieces. Okay, two big oxen. He cut them into pieces. And he sent them throughout Israel by the hands of messengers. Took slabs of these yokes of oxen, little pieces of bloody meat. 
Nice telegram, right? And he comes around to each place, and, he, and the, here's what it says. The messengers went up to the people and said, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. Okay, see this? Bloody meat, that's what's happening to your oxen if you don't go into battle with Saul and Samuel. And then it says, And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. I guess so. The message got delivered pretty clear. If you don't go out with us, you know what? Your animals are going to be slaughtered. So what happened? Saul went in and rescued the people of Jabesh Gilead. He rescued them from either being killed or having their eyes poked out. Now Saul was far from a perfect man. But what do these people remember about him? They remember that he rescued them. You know, it's interesting. I've done a lot of memorial services lately. And though none of the people are perfect, because nobody is. But what's interesting is how somebody will get up and remember something that happened 15 years ago that really impacted their life. And they can't help but share how that person had impacted them. And you know, the truth is, guys, we only have a vapor of time to live this life, and we're impacting people more than we will ever know. Saul had failed miserably at the end of his life, but here he had been a faithful man, and he had rescued these people. And because he had rescued them, they were willing to lay down their lives to rescue his dead body and make sure he got a proper burial. Now, they also risked something else, because during Saul's day, if somebody helped somebody who he thought might be trying to become king, he would kill them. Oh, you're helping David. Really? You gave him some bread? Really? Ask the priest. Remember that? They fed him. He slaughtered them. Saul had lost his mind. And here's the point. A lot of times, kings in those days, if you helped their predecessor or someone trying to take their place, you might face the backlash. And they went out and did this and rescued his body, recognizing that whoever the next king was might be somebody who took it out on them. Saul needs to be shamed. You should have left him there. But they, weren't worried, they were not worried about that. They wanted to do what was right. These men of Jabesh Gilead faithfully risked their lives to save Saul's body and no doubt expected a backlash from the next king. But notice what happens instead. Verse 5. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strengthened and be valiant for your master Saul is dead and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Here's what he basically says. Hey guys, Israel's under new management. I'm not going to go after you for you being faithful. You be faithful, I'm going to bless you. You guys were faithful men. Of, you were faithful. You went out and risked your lives to help the name of Israel be, from being shamed. And you know what? Because of that, I'm going to bless you. Guys, when we obey God, He blesses us. Amen? When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. It may not be the kind of blessing you want, but it's a blessing far better than what we deserve. Amen? A lot of times we want a physical blessing, but what God has for us is far better. So, a, a family divided. And we're going to really see it next week. I thought I was going to get to this part of the text next week. We're going to see these two halves of the family fighting each other to the death. And what's the difference between these two sides of the family? One of them is submitted to God. One has a, manly, a, God, a man called by God leading them. How do you recognize a man called by God? He asks the Lord for direction and waits to hear from him. He goes where the Lord tells him to go, and he takes his family with him. 
His calling is recognized by others. He doesn't have to strive for position. And he blesses and encourages others for their faithfulness. He doesn't become envious because God's using somebody else. He's blessed and excited because God's being glorified. Can I encourage us as a church? We ought to be just as excited when somebody gets saved at the church down the road as when they get saved here. Amen? Amen? Aren't we all on the same team? Aren't we all desiring the same thing? To see Santa Cruz turned right side up, one soul at a time? And sometimes we can be, we got to be careful because we can get caught up in this thing where we start being concerned about, you know, our church. you got to come to our church. There's one church. We're all part of it. Amen? Amen? Those who truly know the Lord. So now let's contrast a man who's walking with God with a man walking in the flesh, a man called by God and a man who serves his own desires. So what do we know about a man walking in the flesh? He strives to bring about his own will and he does not seek the Lord for direction guys i hope after tonight's message your prayer life increases big time amen Amen. too often again it's a mundane thing well i've done this a hundred times i'm not going to pray about that bible says pray without ceasing for this is the will of god amen without ceasing that's what does that mean all the time and guys if we understood that god answers prayer and how desperately need him we would be praying all the time amen Let's pray more. So watch what happens. Look at the contrast between David and his cousin, or actually the cousin of Saul. Look what it says here. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all of Israel. First of all, who is this guy? Abner was basically the general in Saul's army. They have just been soundly whipped by the Philistines. He wasn't that good a general. And then we see that he takes it upon himself to keep the line of Saul going. And the way he does that is he grabs this guy by the name of Ishbosheth. Now, Ishbosheth, what we know about this guy is he wasn't valiant enough to even be in the battle. He was left at home. And his name means man of shame. Now, that's not a good name. I don't think we should. Can you imagine naming your kid? I think man of shame. Right? Middle name, ugly. Man of shame, ugly. I mean, can you imagine? But you know, it's amazing in the Old Testament, you look at names and how often they match up with the person's personality and gifting. And so Ishbosheth, he's really, Pastor Dave's opinion, he's just a puppet for Abner. Abner wants to be in charge. Abner wants to be running things. Here's what I'll do. I'll get wimpy Ishbosheth. He's a son of Saul. I'll help elevate to him to be king. And then I can just run things, you know, the first puppet government, right? I'll just put him up in front of me. He'll be a face, but I'll be the one running things. Because, you know, hey, after all, I'm the man. Now, what do we see Abner not doing here? Now, remember, Abner is a son or a descendant of Benjamin. This guy is from the children of Israel. He's a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's been taught the same truth. But what does he do in a time like this, out of a pivotal moment in the history of Israel? You know what we don't see him do? Pray. There's no prayer here. None whatsoever. King has fallen. Abner doesn't pray, doesn't seek the Lord. He's the cousin of Saul and He just decides he thinks he knows what's best. 
Let me raise up a king myself. That's what got them into this problem to begin with. Do you remember they, they had a king? Who was their king before Saul? God. And then they said, hey, we want a king because we want to be like all the nations around us. And God says, look, if you raise up a king, he's going to enslave you. He's going to take all your stuff. Before it's over, you're going to be crying out that God will remove him from your, as being the king. And then they said, give us a king anyway. And so they cried out for a king in their flesh, and God gave them one. And they gave him Saul. It was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was really good looking. We'd elect him governor today or something, right? Big buff guy. Sounds familiar. And so that's what they did. They, they elected a guy that they could get behind in battle instead of trusting in God. Now we see them doing the same thing as Abner says, Hey, okay, we lost one fleshly guy. Let's get his wimpy son. Let's put him in the position, and then I can be behind him really running things. This sounds great. You know what? That just I, I was reading this and studying this, and I thought, Lord, help us to never put anyone in power that we haven't prayed about. Amen? Amen? You know, the sad part was, I'm going to get political. I don't do that often. But the sad part to me was seeing all these churches marching to go vote for president with their Bible under their hand and then voting for a guy who's pro-baby killing, pro-homosexual marriage, and is the first guy to not recognize a day of prayer in the history of our country. Guys, don't vote based on outward appearance or how charismatic somebody is. Pray, seek God, and make sure he agrees with God's word and what he believes. Amen? I'm going to be in trouble when that gets on the radio. But that's all right. Here's the point. We're not, oh, you can't do that. Well, we're going to do it anyway. Here's the point. We're going to pray for him and we're going to love him. Amen? Pray for your president. Pray for him. Lord loves him. You know what? I want to see him get radically saved. How good would that be? Wouldn't you love it if he came one day? You know, last night I ran into somebody and they shared the God. You know, and you know what? I, I thought I was a Christian before. Now, you know, a matter of fact, I'm going to change this bill, that bill, this bill, that bill, this bill, that bill, and all you are fired. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Can God do that? absolutely so let's pray for that but here's the point the key difference between abner and david was one inquired of the lord and one didn't one honored god and one didn't if i hear separation church and state one more time i'm going to throw up the reason our state is in the mess it's in it doesn't have enough of the church in it amen we need more of god in the government not less and we kick god out don't be surprised when god's not there when we need him as a nation Oh, God, we don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want you. And then, you know, something happens. We get to tell, oh, God, help. No. So that we're, we're called to be the salt and light of this place. Amen? We're the remnant that God has left behind. So the lesson ought to be, what does God want? Abner is making a choice for king that probably seems a natural thing in his mind, yet there's something missing. He doesn't ask God what he wants. He doesn't seek out the high priest. He doesn't seek out any godly direction. He just makes a decision on his own. And he makes him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all of Israel. Note again, Abner made him king. You know what else we don't see here? We don't see prayer. And we don't see an anointing, right? We don't see it. What happened before? The men of Judah, what did they do? They came, they recognized God's hand on him, and they anointed him as king. He'd already been anointed by God. We don't see any anointing here on Ishbosheth. You know why? Because he's not anointed. That word gets abused today. Let's just put it this way. He's not God's man. He's not the man God called. He's not the man God wants. He's not the man God desires. Who is? David. But because they're operating in the flesh, they choose based on the flesh. In Judah, they sought the Lord and they recognized David. Outside of Judah, they were not seeking the Lord and they chose the
the wrong guy. They made king by the will of men, not by the will of God. And as I said before, nations that disregard God when they place men in power should not be surprised by the consequences that follow. What's interesting, Ishbosheth, his name is man of shame. His given name at birth is Ishbaal. You know what that means? Man of Baal. You know who Baal is? False God. A God whom they sacrificed babies to. Interesting. Sacrificed babies to. Oh, we don't do that in our country. Yes, we do. We do. Every abortion truly is a sacrifice to the false gods of this world. So the kingdom was divided. David is God's man ruling over Judah. Ishbosheth is Abner's man ruling over the rest of Israel. And the result is going to be like an unequally yoked marriage. Results are going to be disastrous. Even still, David's not going to strive. He's going to wait upon the Lord's timing. How long did he wait? Let's finish up the chapter. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. Now remember, there's 12 tribes. One tribe is following David, 11 following Ishbosheth. And then it says this At that, and that time, and the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. He was anointed king 15 to 17 years earlier. He spent 10 years running from Saul. He now becomes the anointed king of Judah, and it's seven and a half more years before he becomes the king over all of Israel. And yet, David doesn't strive. David waits. David trusts God and waits upon the Lord. You know what, though? The Bible tells us those who have been faithful in small things, God will you know, give than the ability to see over much. And the truth is that if we're not faithful right where we are, God had given him a smaller kingdom. David, you be faithful there. David's first rule was over sheep, right? Goats, whatever he was herding, right? He was a shepherd. That's where God started David. Nobody's watching, and you're watching a bunch of sheep. And by the way, some lions are going to show up. And that's when you find out how called you are. Because nobody's there, and if a lion picks off a few sheep, who's going to know? But David killed a lion and a bear we know. And that was preparation because when David went to fought Goliath, what happened? He gets there, children of Israel, they're all lined up at the Valley of Elah, and everybody else is scared to death. And because he was faithful with the sheep, he was now one who could see through spiritual eyes. And when Goliath showed up and everybody else was afraid, he didn't see 11 foot 750 against a man. He saw a mere man against Almighty God. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? And David went down and killed him. But then David ended up being one who had spears thrown at him. And he was hunted. All this was preparation for what God wanted to do in David's life. Some of us, maybe you're in a time where you're being the shepherd. You're serving God and nobody notices. Or maybe you've gone out and stepped out in faith and God's done great things. But now it seems like nothing's happened. Nothing's coming of it. Or maybe you're like he is now. He's in Judah. And he's overseeing a smaller kingdom of preparation to make him the king God wants him to be over a greater one. Guys, we need to trust in the promises of God and the faithfulness of God and the timing of God to do what he wants when he wants. Amen? And that's exactly what's happening in the life of David. He had waited more than 15 years since being anointed by Samuel, spent 10 years running, and now at 30 years old, would spend seven and a half years ruling over only Judah, waiting for God to do more. 
The results of this division, as we're going to see next week, is a family at war. One half faithfully following the Lord, the other half in rebellion against him. Abner and Ishbosheth in the rebellion will be murdered. Many other lives will be lost, and David will rule over all of Israel. It would have been so much simpler if they just all sought the Lord. Amen? Guys, God's will is going to be done. But it's so much better if we just get in His will with Him. Israel is going to go through seven and a half years of trials and difficulty. We're going to see at the end of this chapter that Abner kills uh, one of David's nephews. We're going to see that one of his other nephews ends up killing him, and then Ishbosheth gets killed, and all this stuff happens. Why? Because they didn't seek the Lord. Guys, if we go our own way, the way of the transgressor is hard. May we not allow circumstances to make us move, to move us contrary to God's will. God's way is always best let's wait upon him so in closing a family divided what happens when some seek the lord and others rebel against him a man called by god and a man walking in the flesh the contrast a man called by god asks the lord for direction and waits to hear from him he goes where the lord tells him to go and takes his family with him his calling is recognized by others he doesn't strive for position he blesses encourages others for their faithfulness and then finally a man walking in the flesh strives to bring about his own will and does not seek the Lord for direction. Help us to be men and women who walk in the Spirit but not, and not those who strive in the flesh. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the picture we've seen tonight. And Lord, it's just a precursor to all the, the tragedy and all the trials we're going to see in the future chapters because men don't pray, because men don't seek you. Because men and women go their own way. Lord, I pray for us in this room tonight. I know there's a temptation to just do what we want. To think that God's way is a no fun way or it's going to cramp my style. But Lord, may we learn that you know what's best for us. And your way is not only the best way, but it's a joyous way. And so Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, if, we're, if we've traveled off into the land of the Philistines, if we're living with the world, May we tonight get back into the land of promise. May we seek again your face. May we make you the priority yet again. Lord, for those who are facing decisions tonight, I pray they would not be moved by their circumstances alone, but Lord, they would seek your face and hear your still small voice. Lord, that we would pray and then we would wait to hear from you before we move. And so Lord, we just thank you and praise you that you are a God of incredible love, grace, and mercy. And Lord, I do feel that. I pray for our president. Lord, I pray that you would just touch his life. Lord, I pray you'd draw him unto yourself. Lord, I pray you'd bring divine appointments into his life and the life of others who lead our country, those who will boldly stand up for your truth. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that while presidents come and go, we thank you that our God will never be voted out of office, that you're always faithful and we can trust in you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.